is, uh, is the last day in this series, Come to the Table. And, and I, this has been a fun series for me. I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, been based off of this book by this guy, Leonard Sweet. And uh, his, his book called, strangely enough, Come to the Table. Uh, the, the thesis behind this is that Christianity in the, in the Western church is an endangered species. We're, we're a dying breed. And the reason we are is because as any animal species becomes endangered, we are losing more people than we are um, populating. So we, we, more people are leaving the faith either by death or just walking away than are joining the faith. And so we find ourselves in this weird, strange circumstance that uh, if we don't change the way that we are going, we will, become, we will move from being endangered to extinct. And, and this isn't true for, for the ma majority of the world, really. It's the Western world. It's the Western church that this is a reality. And what he says, what he suggests is, it's because we have lost the ability to speak the language of the culture. And the language of the culture is storytelling. You can look all throughout the culture today and see that story, telling stories is the way that people communicate. The ironic thing is that's our native language. If we just look at how God handed down all of this information, it was done so through stories. But what we did was we chopped it up into chapters and verses. And we made it about rules and regulations and laws and systems. And those are great and wonderful for helping us to memorize things. But what they do is they remove the grander beauty of the story. And so we focus on these narrow-minded things and miss everything else that God is trying to tell us. And so when we lose this ability to tell the story, what we do is, is we've lost generations to the nuns. And I don't, I don't mean the NUSs. I don't mean Sally Field. I mean the N-O-N-E-S's. I, I, I mean the, the, the people who either say, I have no religion, or I, I, I used to be in Christianity, but I no longer am. I don't need that. I don't need God, I don't need religion, I don't need somebody telling me how I should live or what I should do. And so you have all these generations that have walked away from faith or never even ventured near it. And the thing about it is, if you look at those generations, you see more depression, you see more suicidal tendencies, you see more people who are questioning and wondering who they are. And his premise is, and I agree with it, because we've forgotten how to tell the story. Because those of us who are in the generations above, Generation X in the house, there's some of you in there, come on, be proud of being Gen Xers. Come on, Bells, y'all are both Gen Xers, I'm looking at y'all. Yeah, baby boomers, Ooh, greatest generation, no. We have some at 11 o'clock and they were proud, they were like, oh, I, can barely, I can't even hear you, but I'm right here. And they were like, yes. Yeah, um, at millennials, yeah, you're not gonna raise your hand, you're, you're underachievers. Yeah, yeah, you're still living at home, doing nothing with your life, right? Um, just kidding, <laughs> it's true. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so we have these generations, but the generations behind mine, Gen X, they're the ones that have such great depression, such great loneliness in this uber-connected world. And I think a big premise is, a big problem is because we've, we don't tell the story anymore. We don't tell kids who they are from the very beginning. We don't, as he suggests, sit around the table, look one another in the eye, and have an actual conversation. This is how Jesus did his ministry, Right? A lot of times, many of it, especially in the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus time after time sitting around a table or a meal of some sort and telling a story. And in these moments, he's, he's, he's pouring into these people who they are. He's given them identity. 
He's giving them purpose. He's giving them a design and, and a destination. And he's bringing them together as one, time and time again. And he tells the same story, essentially. And Paul picks up on this, and Paul uses the same story throughout many of his letters. And it's not a new story. It wasn't anything that Jesus created. It was something that he was retelling from the, the book of Exodus. It's the formational story of our entire faith. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it says, we should all have this memorized by now. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, and I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have in this story that Jesus uses every time he sits down, primarily at the Last Supper, the Seder meal, these four promises, these four I will statements, these promises of God. This is the same story that every Jew tells, every Passover celebration, every Seder meal, they go through these four promises, the four I wills, and they're centered around four cups. The first cup, the first promise is the cup of sanctification. It's the cup saying, I have set you apart. Uh, you, you aren't like everybody else. I have set, it's this cup of salvation. It's this cup of being one with Christ. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. It's this cup saying that even though I brought you out of Egypt, there's still some Egypt in you and I need to get that out of you too. Even though we drink of that first cup and we find freedom and life in Jesus Christ, we still sometimes hold on to the bags that we came into the relationship with. And, and God's like, hey man, you need to let that stuff go. The third cup is the cup of redemption or the cup of restoration. It's this cup saying, no, 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 I know that you think you were designed for this, but there is an original design on your life and I have so many wonderful things planned for you. And then the fourth cup, the cup that is called um, the cup of praise. It's, it's really the, the cup hallel is the word in, in Hebrew where, where we get the term hallelujah from, right? It's the cup of praise. And, and many people say it's the cup of praise because it's now your fourth cup of wine and everybody's feeling good, right? It's like, woo, dinner's over. You know, some of you are like, four cups, you know, it's fine. This, it's the fourth cup, this cup of praise. And, and what this cup is, is, is this cup is the, the cup of fulfillment. Because what this cup does is, is it centers all of us together on one purpose. Because the first three cups are all individual. They're all personal cups. Like the first cup, the cup of sanctification, the cup of my salvation. You can't drink that for me. Like you can't make that decision for me. God offers that cup to me. Jesus offers that cup, his, his blood, his life and death and resurrection. He goes, hey, Michael, I want you to be one with me. Will you drink from this cup? And you can't drink that for me. So I must do that by myself. But let me tell you a great place to have conversations to lead people into drinking that cup. One of the best places to do that is around a table. Around a meal where you set everything else aside, where you, where you turn off the television, you, you turn off your phones, you put that away, you sit down and you look one another in the eye. And you say, you know what? Let me tell you what's going on in my life. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me, let me tell you the difference that he's made for me. 
There are very few times in this life where you can have that real honest conversation. The table is one of those moments. But you have to drink from it yourself. The same with the second cup. The, the, the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance is it's like, you can't help me with my bags. Like you can't, I, only I can unpack the baggage that I bring into this relationship, right? You, you come into this relationship with Christ and we talked about, it, you, can, you can pull the boy out of Egypt, but you gotta get the Egypt out of the boy. And, and when I come into this relationship with Christ, I came in with some luggage. You know, some, I had a carry-on bag. I had about three different checked bags. Not like, you know, I had to pay extra because they were so big. You know what I'm talking about? Really big, heavy bags that were taken onto the plane. I'm like, whoa, that's really heavy. Yeah, you can't open those for me. I have to open those. I have to look through those contents. I have to bring them to the cross and leave them there. But one of the best places that we can do that is at a table. Sitting around a table with someone, again, you shut everything else out and you take time to look one another in the eye. You say, hey, let me tell you about the stuff that I've dealt with. Maybe you know the person so well, you just say, hey, I, I just see into you right now and I just feel like things aren't going well. What is it? Do you want to talk about it? Let's go have a meal, sit down, and just share, right? These moments where that second cup where you, where you bring all this baggage into the relationship that shouldn't be there in Christ. is like, I didn't intend for you to carry that in the first place. Leave it here. And the third cup, the, the cup of redemption, this cup of restoration. Again, it's, it's, it's the purpose that God has for you in your life. And while I can pour into you a little bit more on this than I can the other two, and I can say, and I can help you narrow down where God is, only God is speaking to you about where you should be and what you should do and what your design is. But again, it's the table. It's the table where you come together and you're like, man, I just see this in you. I see just such joy when you're doing these things. Do you think maybe that that's where God is calling you? But the fourth cup, that's all personal stuff, but this fourth cup, this fourth cup is something that God calls us into that's something different than those other three. And you can't do the fourth unless you've done the other three. But the fourth one, this fourth one is calling us into a life of fulfillment. When you find this fourth cup and you drink this cup of praise and you come together as the body of Christ, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, you find fulfillment like at no other time. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I, can't, I come to give you life in its fullness. Like the thief comes to take everything from you, but no, 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 that's not, that's not how, I come to give it all to you. And if that's one of the things that Jesus says to us, why don't we experience it? I mean, don't you want more, right? I mean, it, like life in abundance, wouldn't you like, well, yes, I think I would like that. Uh, you know, would you like to biggie size that? The answer is always yes. You, you want more, and, and Jesus is like, I, I have this for you. I, I, I want to get, so why don't we do it? Why do we a lot of times pull away from this fourth thing? Why do a lot of times do we just say, you know what, I'm kind of fine where I am. I don't want to take that next step and jump into something that I'm not really sure about where it's going. Three reasons. The first one is 
that we allow the past to cripple us. We get stuck on cup two. Like, like we, we, we've, we, we've had cup one, we're, we're in with Jesus, we have an eternity, we have a place in, in God's house. But all that baggage that we've carried with us, we can't let it go. We're, we're so scared of letting go what's painful yet comfortable. We, we can't let go of the past and when we can't let go of the past, we can't see the hope of tomorrow. And we get stuck in this place and say, yeah, but, but you don't know what I've done, but you don't know what I've said, but you don't know what's been done to me, but you don't know where I've been, but you don't know all of the, there's no way that God could have anything to do with me or ever want me to do anything for him because of these things that I'm carrying behind me. If anything can set your mind at ease, up here on this altar area, you have an example of someone that God saw a U-Haul behind and went, whew, but we're still gonna use you. Man, you're bringing a lot of baggage into this relationship, Crocker. That's all right. I died for that. I offer you forgiveness for those things. I'm bringing you in to be more like me. I know you're gonna miss the mark and I know from this point forward, you're still going to bring some of those bags up and hold on to some of that luggage, but I'm gonna chop it off every chance I get because you are who I am choosing to use. Look, look at all the people that God chooses to use. Moses was a murderer. David, one whose heart was after God arranged things so that he could kill somebody so that he could have his wife. Paul, the guy who wrote most of this story in the New Testament, had a career killing people who believed in Jesus before Jesus found him. Talk about some baggage bringing into the relationship. Hey, all those people you stoned to death because of me? You wanna talk about those? No. I died for that too. If you think you have baggage bigger than those folks, we need to talk. And you need to leave the baggage here at the cross. So many times we let the past cripple us from moving in to the hope of tomorrow. The other thing we do is, is we let culture define us. We, 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 we get stuck at cup three, cup three, this design that God has for our life, but we're like, but no, no, no. But that's not what the world is saying I should be. If I, if I decide to start living my life for God in such a way, well, well what will other people think? What will other people think if I'm, if I'm changing the way I live, changing the places that I go, changing the people I hang out with, changes, changing the way I speak? What will people say? See, what this does is when we let the culture define us is, is we live in the fear of man rather in the fear of the Lord. We're so worried about what other people may say or do or think we ought to do that we get just frozen and we can't move beyond cup three. Then, and this is the worst one for me, this is the one that I drink of the most or the one that I, 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 I mess up the most on is we try to do it by ourselves. We, we, we go out onto this fourth cup and we're like, this fourth cup that's a communal cup, that's this cup of praise and, 
And I just grab the cup by myself and I'm like, yes, it's a party of one. Thank you very much. But this isn't the way God intended it. See, in, in my personality, in like cup two, I'm all about. Like I stand under the fountain of cup two and just, ah, I just pour it in, Jesus. I'm gonna drink of that cup because I know the baggage I have and I know the forgiveness you offer. And I need to walk away from that. Cup three, man, I'm down with cup three. I know my design. I know the playbook that God has placed before me for my life. I know my lane and where I'm supposed to be. It's cup four that trips me up. Cup four, this cup that, that I take in theory, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna drink from this cup, but I'm still gonna do it by myself because I'm an alone-oriented person. I'm a, some people may call a control freak, I think that's a little over the top and maybe they just don't understand perfection when they see it. Some of you are looking to your spouse right now. I love that. See, in, in my personality type, I, I am a, um, a, on the Enneagram, I'm an eight. And eights um, are known for a couple of things. One, they are, um, I affectionately call them eight holes um, because we are not afraid of confrontation. Um, if we see something that's wrong, we're gonna step in and say, it's wrong. However, one of the weird things about us is in order to not have confrontation, we will just do stuff ourselves, Because we either believe, A, that it's not going to be done the way that we would like it to be done and the way that we would like it to be done is the right way to be done. Or B, whoever's going to do it is going to disappoint us, which really is just A. And so what we do is we just do it ourselves. And then we complain about that no one else is doing it. We're lovely people to be around. Some of you are eights in here. My fellow eights, come alive. Boom, yep. Uh, some on the worship team, woo-hoo. Uh, and so this is what happens with me, is I will be around here at the church and I will see stuff that needs to be done and I will start doing it. And then I will complain that no one is doing it. And I do this all the time. I will step up. There, a couple of Sundays ago, I was out blowing off the sidewalks Sunday morning before church. And the, and the guy, our, we have a volunteer who comes and does this. He sees me and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, it was really dirty. <laughs> you, know, I was, you can do the other, I just have to take control because it was really bad. I didn't, you weren't here yet. And so no one else is doing it. I have to do it myself. I do that a lot around here. We have a coach right now who is uh, coming into our staff and helping us work uh, at, better as a team and, and try to function and, and relate to one another uh, on a better level. And and what she told me the other day is, hey, you know all of those times that you clean out the new office and take the trash and you do those different things and, and then you sit back and complain about it. You know what you're telling your staff? I was like, that they're lazy. She goes, that you don't need them. And I went, I like my answer better. Every time you step in and do something and, and not allow someone else to help, you're saying, I don't need you. I got this on my own. I, I, I don't need you to usher because you're not gonna usher as well as I am because I know how to lead someone to a pew. I don't need you to drive the golf cart because I drive the golf cart like a champ. I can drive through all these poles and not hit a single one. So I don't need you to do that. I don't need you to, to do the offertory because, man, I know how to pass a plate. I can do it better than you can, so I don't need you to do that. And every time I say that, you hear, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. 
And every time I say that, I just take cup four and I throw it on the ground. See, what cup four is, is cup four is all of us coming together and saying, no, 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 but it's better when we do it together. But it's better when we all come together and use our gifts and use our talents and use our abilities. It's better when we all come together as a family and as a team and say, that, see that mountain over there? We're gonna climb that mountain together and we're gonna finish together. You ever been on a mission trip? Man, mission trips are the, are the times when, when I lose control and, and I say I'm not in charge on these things and I take cup four by the, and I just pour it up and I just drink of that cup. Because when you're on a mission trip, different things happen and you get to be together as a team. When you go, I, I remember one of our trips to, to uh, Guyana many years ago. I had this kid, Kyle Seckler, he and I spent hours, two days in a row, hand scooping, hand mixing cement. That was our job. We were making concrete by hand the entire time. It was so hard. It was out of my skill zone. Like I have blisters on my fingers right now because my hands are so dainty. And I played golf a couple days in a row and my hands are like, what is happening? Um, and, and so, but I'm just doing all this stuff, this work with this high school kid. And we had the best time and it was so much fun. He and I were gonna create, he's a Jew. And he and I were like, we are going to create a Christian Jewish concrete business when we come back. It's gonna be amazing, Crocker Seckler's Concrete. We even had a name and a logo drawn up. It was awesome, it was so much fun because he and I were doing it together. When you have those moments and you come together and you, you get to experience, nobody likes to have a party alone. A party alone is sad. A party together is fun. And that's what the fourth cup is. It's introducing us into the fulfillment of our life. When we find that place where we are supposed to serve and we join with others who are in that same place and going the same direction and working for the same goal, we find fulfillment and we find joy. So why don't we do it? How can we take that step into finding where God has called us and then to stepping in? The first thing that I will tell you is this. It all begins with understanding that you have a calling on your life. You all have been called. Now, a lot of times when preachers talk about this, we get all churchy and we say, you're calling, what's your call story? And when pastors get together, and I really don't like to hang out with pastors because I don't like them very much. Don't tell any of them that, except Pastor Troy, I like him, he's great. What's your call story? Let me, t oh, let me hear about your call story. And what, essentially what it is, is they, they wanna, say that their calling story is so much holier than yours. Well, I was walking in Israel and all of a sudden a dove lighted right in front of me and the waters parted and there was Jesus standing and said, I want son, I want you to be a pastor, right? Oh really, I was walking with Moses one day and he, you know, this is kind of how pastors talk. <laughs> I, wish I, was, wish I was kidding about this. Mine was just, mine was literally calling. And I'm like, I was having a dream one night and there was a phone ring and somebody goes, Michael, it's your call, the Ray at Seminary now. I'm not very smart and God had to speak literally to me. You need a calling, here's your literal call, right? You're all called. You're not called to ministry. You're not called to full-time ministry. You're not called to be a preacher. You are called to do something. Paul says it this way to Timothy. He says, God saved us and then he called us. First he saved us, cup one, and then the rest of it, he called us. 
It says, he called us to this holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. See, God had a calling on your life long before you knew who God was. God had a calling on your life long before you ever knew who Jesus Christ was. He said, oh man, I can't wait for her to be born, to see all of the things that she's going to do with the calling that I have for her in her life. Essentially what this calling is, is it's a calling to want to make a difference. It's, it's inside every one of us. Like I, I just, I wanna make a difference. I, I want my life to matter. I, I don't want to be a statistic like we talked about, I think last week. 87% of these people that these chaplains talk to at the end of their lives when they're on their deathbed, they said, did your life matter? Said, I don't know. I don't know if my life even mattered. What a horribly hollow feeling that is. The fact that you have a calling on your life to something amazing means that you get a chance to make a difference, that you want to make a difference, that you don't want to say, I don't know if my life even mattered when it comes down to the end. You want to say, oh, oh yeah, the world knew I was here. I made a difference. But see, you can make a difference in the world in two ways, right? You can make a difference, you turn on the news, people are making a difference every day for bad. But once you drink from that first cup and once you drink of that second cup and let those ba that baggage go and you find the place where God has put you and you accept that calling and jump in, then like I wanna make a difference for something that is good. I, I, don't, I don't just want my life to amount to nothing. I, I want to be involved in something that has a cause, that has a purpose. In Acts, it says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I wanna make a difference doing something that makes a difference. I, 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 I want to be involved in people's lives and, and in, the, in the community in such a way that it's better. I mean, don't you really at the core? Don't you want your life to, to make the world a better place? I may, I may start going into Whitney Houston right now, but I won't. As long as we are looking to ourselves, we will never step out into this place. But if we can get that, that God has called us and God has called us. I, I want you to make a difference. I want you to make a difference for something that matters. But I don't want you to do it alone. I don't want you to go out on your own. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out in twos. He sent them together. The, the, the entirety of God, this, this triumvirate of God, it, it's, it's the Holy Trinity. God is a community in and of God's self. And so God, this final cup is this cup that says, I don't want you to make a difference all alone. I want you to make a difference together. Why? Because one, you'll be more powerful that way because you will make a bigger difference when you gather together. But two, it will mean more to you. You will get more out of it. You will find more fulfillment when you stand together shoulder to shoulder with the sisters and brothers and you carry the cross for Christ. Ecclesiastes says it the best way, and this is the most simple verse ever. Two are better than one. It's easy math. Even I can do that math. 
Two are better than one because they get a better return on their labor. When we join together, we are more capable of doing more than when we are apart. I used too many years ago um, have a cup, uh, a, a, an olive wood cup that I got in Israel. It was this cup that I um, would put on the altar during communion. And I, put it up, I would put it upside down on the altar. I haven't done this in years. But, um, and I, ne- I never mentioned it. I never mentioned this, this cup while we would do communion. And it was funny, the people who had um, the, the spiritual gift of administration would walk in and they would see it and immediately recognize that there was an upside down cup on the altar and, and it would agitate them and, and make them wonder why. People who had that uh, gift of relationship and, and those things would never notice it. Somebody would be like, did you see that upside down cup? Like what cup? There's another cup on the altar? I don't know, I was looking at this other guy and talking to him, right? But the people that it would agitate enough would finally sometimes would come up to me and go, hey, what's the deal with the upside down cup on the altar? And I'll go, you notice? I said, that's the fourth cup. It's the cup of praise. And, and they'd be like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and I would briefly walk through this thing, but, but if you look at Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, when, when Jesus is going through this Seder meal and he's going through telling the story of these four cups, the four I will promises of God. If you remember, he says, but I will not drink of this cup again, right? The fourth cup. He gets through the three cups in the meal and he gets to the fourth cup and he says, I will not drink of this cup again until we are together in heaven. See, God wants us to have this mentality that it is this amazing hallelujah party celebration that when we get to heaven, Jesus is gonna turn that cup up and go, son, I am so happy you are here. Oh man, I can't wait to have this cup of wine with you. And that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I don't know why if, if, if I stopped doing it because of this reason or if I just stopped doing it because I was lazy and forgot. Quite honestly, this is probably the latter rather than the former. But to think that the fourth cup can only be consumed in heaven is, is to miss what God is doing with this cup. Yes, there will be a time where we taste that cup with Jesus in heaven and it will be glorious and wonderful. But God gives us that cup right here and right now. God gives us the opportunity to be a part of something amazing right here and right now. The choice is, are we gonna drink from it or not? So August sent me um, this week a little text of one of the songs, the song they're doing right now. And, and I got fired up and she knows, the reason she sent it to me is because she knows it's my jam. Like I, I love this song. It is, and I ask her to do it like every week. And she's like, I cannot do it every week. Please do it every week. It's a song called New Wine. And the first time I heard it was um, almost a year ago at this conference in Atlanta. And they just did this amazing presentation with it. And uh, gosh, it was so awesome. And I was thinking when she sent it today and, and you know, August and I talk about what we're doing and, and, and where the sermon series is going and everything, but she's a lot smarter than I am. And, and sometimes she plugs things in and I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Never would have gotten that, but God was working through her. And, and so 
What I love about the song, the song today is New Wine is, is some of us today have, man, we had cup one a long time ago. We drank from that cup and we're in with Jesus. And I'm like, yes. And then we stalled out at cup two or maybe cup three or, or maybe even cup four. But we've gotten to this place where we've been holding this cup for so long that that wine has become stale. That, that wine is, that, like you opened that bottle of wine a week ago and man, you just got better pour that stuff out or cook with it, you know what I'm saying? It's done aerating, it's past aeration and it's gone to bat. It's time to get some new wine in there. It's time to find that new life. It's, it, it's time to allow God to fill it up with something that is amazing and wonderful. And so what I'm gonna challenge you tonight is is pour out that cup, whatever cup you're sticking on, whatever cup, maybe it's the first cup for you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you've had, you've come close and, and you've had that cup offered to you time and time again. You're just like, I'm still not ready. I'm still not ready. I mean, you've been holding that cup and that wine has just gone sour. Or, or maybe you you had cup one and, and, and you're stuck at two or three or wherever it is, but you've just been holding on to it waiting for somebody to push you, waiting for a story to be told that fires you up, waiting for something to cause you to drink from that cup. Well, pour out that old wine and let Jesus pour some new wine in today. Let Jesus come to you and say, no, 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 my son, my daughter, your life matters. I can't tell you how much your life matters to me. I can't tell you how much I love you and how much I want for you to find where I have a place for you. Pour out that old wine and, and let God do something new today. I've done this at all the services and I'm gonna do it here. Close your eyes, bow your heads. When everybody does it, we're all the same, right? Or say a little prayer. If you've never had the new wine of the first cup, if you've never prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus, we're just gonna say, just say this prayer in your heart tonight. Jesus, thank you and I love you. I, I've tried to control my life. It hasn't worked out too well for me. And so I give you control. I, I don't want the direction that my life is going to stay that direction. And I know that as I come to you and I give my life to you, that, that I will have the promise, the four promises that you will mark me as your own, that you will deliver me from the bondage that I've lived in, that you will set me on the path that you have designed for me and that you will celebrate with me in the body of Christ as I move into that relationship with you. But it all starts with this first cup, God. And so I drink of this first cup. I accept your death, I accept your resurrection. I accept the life that you have given. Jesus, I love you and thank you. With all eyes still closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, if you would raise your hand so I, so I can see and I can pray for you. Slip them down. Thank you. God, I thank you and praise you for the people who drink of that first cup. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that you would shower them with the courage that it takes to raise their hand in a room full of strangers or families and friends. I pray that you would give them the strength to not let that moment pass from right here. 
but to continue walking more and more towards that second cup, towards that third cup. And God, those people who are stuck at cup two or cup three, or even cup four, I pray that you would give them the strength to drink from those cup anew, to find that new wine, to do something new in their life. Ushers are coming forward this right now. We're gonna stand, I'm just gonna ask all y'all to stand. We're gonna worship with this song, one more song. And I'm gonna say a blessing over this offering. Father, I pray that you would receive this offering and that through your power, you would magnify it so that others may know that you are God, that they're loved and that their life matters. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name, amen.